0: Please open your Bibles to John uh, chapter 15 this morning, and so we're going to continue our series on the nature and purpose of the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Over the past few months, uh, we've taken the opportunity to look in depth at the nature and the purpose of the church, and as we have, we've seen that the church consists of those who have been called out by God, who have been born into the church spiritually by faith. You can't attend a church and be a part of the church. You have to be born into it, and that is through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And being born again to a living hope, we find that we have been given a new identity as part of God's people, as a part of his family called the church, and it's identified by seven marks of a church. According to Ephesians chapter 1, we find that instead of being cursed we actually are the blessed. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. Instead of being rejected, we have been chosen by God. Instead of being orphaned, we have been adopted by God. Instead of being left with an unpayable debt to God, we find that we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Instead of being guilty of our sin, we have now find that we have been forgiven in Christ. And instead of being blind to the, mind and the plan of God, we find that we've been given the plan of God. God has revealed that to us through his Spirit, and instead of being ruled by our flesh now, we have been given the Holy Spirit as a down payment who teaches us things concerning the Lord, who uh, we follow now instead of following our old life, ruled by the flesh. And so, as sons and daughters of God, we who were once ruled by our own flesh and desires and leading that leads to judgment and death, we are now under now the lordship of, the Je- of Jesus Christ. You were once your own lord, and actually, whether you knew it or not, you're under the power and control of Satan, directly or indirectly. But now we are, as the redeemed, under the lordship of Jesus Christ, who is the head of his church. And who gives us his life, who has given us his eternal life. And as head of the church, Christ desires that each and every single one of us would come to full maturity as sons and daughters of the living God. And Because God desires that we would grow to full maturity, that we wouldn't stay stagnant in our faith, that we wouldn't stay fruitless, Jesus has appointed gifted men throughout the church age like the apostles and prophets in the early church and now the evangelists and pastor teachers who proclaim the gospel and who also um, not only proclaim the gospel to the lost, but who now shepherd the saved by feeding them spiritual food, which is the word of God, and for praying for them and tending to them and protecting them from false doctrine, things that would shipwreck their faith and their fruitfulness and their calling. And so we find that as Christians, we are part of the body of Christ, which consists of every single born-again person on the planet, and yet Christ has placed us not only in the general body of Christ, but in a local body of Christ. And it, it, it turns out that, it's, that we might grow and give ourselves in a very practical, meaningful way. And so we see that the Lord Jesus has appointed elders in every church, in every local church, who are the overseers and the pastors of the part of the body Christ has entrusted to them, and they will give an account for how they have loved and fed the flock of God. And that is their responsibility, is to feed and to tend and to love the believers in the body by spiritual means. And because the ministry of the word and prayer is the priority for these servant leaders, God has gifted those who are to support the ministry of the word and prayer, and those are called deacons, people gifted uh, in the church to support the ministry of the word and prayer by just doing the practical things within the church, the practical ministries. And they're numerous. And really, this is the framework in the church for our spiritual growth and maturity. The Lord Jesus is the head. He is edifying and building up his church in spiritual matters, mainly through the elders and through the teaching of the word and through prayer by those pastors and leaders, supported by the deacons in the practical matters, Also, that the body of Christ would be built up. Yes, God works in other ways, but this is generally the framework which the scripture lays out. That each of us would be matured into the church of Jesus Christ as God desires. Those called out and saved by grace, being led by the Lord Jesus Christ, who reflect the very nature of God in our words, in our thoughts, and in our actions. Amen. Christians. The term Christian came about because uh, it it came as a mockery term for the early church. Because they were looked at and they said, you're just like Christians. You're little Christ. That's what that word Christian means. You're just like him. You annoy us to death. Because you're so loving and kind and forgiving and all the things that we aren't as pagans. Amen? We want to be Christians. We are Christians. This is what brings glory to God, that our very nature would reflect that of the Lord Jesus Christ and bring glory to the Father. And so the Lord has done everything so that we would mature. He has done all the heavy lifting, church. He's done it all. He's died for us. Amen. He's forgiven us. He's given us everlasting life, His life. He's placed us in His church. He's given us spiritual leaders who care for us and teach us. He's put brothers and sisters around who who help in the practical matters of, of life every day. He's put everything in our path that we would grow in Him, and the Lord has set it all up so that you and I would grow and mature in the Lord. Now, with all that God has done for us, what do we do? How do we grow? What does that look like? John 15 gives us a great picture of what that looks like. And that's why I want to look at John 15 with you. Let's read John 15, verses 1 through 8, and then we'll talk about it. John 15, 1 through 8, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear Much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Two things that are plain as I read this Jesus desires that we bear much fruit and that we abide. Just those two things are just jumping out the page. Fruit is repeated a bunch, and remain in me is repeated a bunch. bunch. And the Lord's saying, I want you to bear fruit and I want you to abide. Pretty simple. And this is the Christian life. This is how we mature. And I want to speak about this this morning because we don't know what God desires. If we don't know what God desires and we don't know how He wants us to accomplish it, we're going to fall short. And all the important actions that we're going to talk about coming up in the next few weeks about what the church actually does is going to be totally frustrating for all of us if we don't get this straight. It's going to be impossible if we don't get the principles of John 15 straightened out in our minds and hearts. Let me begin by giving you a little background on these verses we just read real quickly. These words were spoken by Jesus during the Last Supper. (coughs) It's the night that Jesus was going to be betrayed. The disciples were all gathered together in the upper room. Jesus has already washed the feet of his disciples and then during the meal, as he institutes the new, um, basically the, the new covenant there, in Judas and John thirteen thirty, Jesus handed him a piece of bread that identified him as the one who would betray him. And it says there that he left. Judas took the bread. Jesus said, go do what you must do. He took the bread and he left them. He went out. He departed. And it's in this context that Jesus begins to speak to the remaining disciples over chapters 13, 14, 15 about what it means to be in him and what's going to come and the Holy Spirit and all these important things. But he starts speaking to them about being a true disciple, what a true disciple is, a true follower of Jesus Christ versus a superficial one like Judas, who is really no disciple at all. And Jesus identifies a true disciple in verse 8 of John 15. We read it. As one who bears what? Much fruit. That's what shows that you're my disciples, Jesus says. And and this is what separates a true Christian from a false Christian. A true disciple versus a superficial one. True disciples bear fruit. Their lives resemble Christ. Ouch! anybody else and the illustration that jesus uses in john 14 and here in john 15 to illustrate this is that when a fruit tree or he starts he uses basically the basically illustration of a fruit tree or a grapevine and when jesus points out what kind of tree or vine you are it's going to be evident in the fruit that you produce You don't expect an avocado tree to grow oranges, correct? You know, an avocado tree, I'm from Southern California, bad bad analogy. (laughs) I should be talking about cherries and other things. But you know what kind of tree it is often by the fruit it produces, correct? And if the disciples are Christ, they're going to produce the fruit that Christ produces if they're not they won't like Judas it's as simple as that and jesus uses that picture in other places as well in matthew 7 for example regarding a true and false prophet in verses 15 through 20 let me read it for you 15 through 20 it says beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravenous wolves you will know them by their fruits Jesus says the outside looks like a sheep but who they truly are at the root is a wolf and it's gonna come out look at the fruit he says do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles no you don't you gather grapes from a grapevine and figs from fig trees right verse 17 even so every good tree bears what good fruit And every bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. What kind of tree, basically, you are will show itself in the fruit that you produce. I I marvel at Jesus, who is the most, I mean, to say the most intelligent. He is intelligence, and yet he brings down these, these principles to where we can all understand what is going on here. What kind of tree you are is going to show it in what you do and who you are. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, verse 19, continuing there, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the fruits you will know them. So Jesus desires that his disciples bear much fruit, and we can add safely good fruit. Amen? Jesus wants you to bear good fruit. He desires that you bear good fruit. So Jesus says in John 15, by the context of the previous chapters, Judas was a superficial follower of Jesus. He looked like the real deal, but inwardly he was never attached to me. He wasn't of me, but you are my disciples And it's going to be shown in the fruit your lives will produce. And so God desires that we produce much fruit. And John 15, 8 says, not just a little fruit, but what? Much fruit. And one of the things I've learned is that the more mature a tree or a vine is, quite often the more fruit it produces. And so the more mature we become in Christ, the more fruit we should produce. In the Lord, and all this talk of fruit makes me think of John Davin. John Davin here this morning. Is he out on fire patrol? He's not here. Got to get to talk about him. John Davin. He's he's invited me over to his his farm, and I had the privilege of eating some of his uh, many berries off his various plants, and and you can taste the goodness. They're all really good, but John can he can tell the difference. He can tell the difference. Between all the varieties and even within the same varieties, like which tastes better than the others? I don't know. He's like a connoisseur of berries. <laughs> and, and as I ask questions as to why that is and why he thought certain ones taste better than the others and all that, even within the same varieties, it came down to, quite often, he would say, it's the maturity of the plant. Yes, it's what you feed it, obviously, that helps to lead to that maturity, and, and I remember John pointing to this one plant, this one blueberry bush, and, and he said, look at, look at this one compared to the others. And it just had a fat trunk on it. It had been around. I said, how old is it? Like 15 years or something? I don't know what it was. And you could see that it was thicker, and, and the, the berries were bigger. And, the, and it, was, it was in the season where it was just about to, you know, they're just about to have harvest, and you could just see the difference between that in another one, and he pointed to the other, and said, that one has like four more years. That's got like four more years on it before it's really going to do what I want it to do. But John was, he's anticipating the fruit coming off of these plants. Everything he's doing is to maximize the fruit coming off of that thing. When he f- what he feeds it, where he puts it, how he waters it, what he cuts off of it. It's all about his enjoyment of eating those berries. Amen? Even in pruning, even in not harvesting something when it looks like it should be harvested, to let it go in another season so it draws back in or whatever in the world that is. Maximum fruit. Jesus says in The book of John, chapter 8, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Brothers and sisters, the church exists for God's glory. We exist for God's glory. Jesus is the branch in verse 1 and says that the Father is the gardener. And we are the ones who bear the fruit. And we are... Designed by God, bought by God, purchased by God, so that you and I would mature in Him and reflect God in our very lives. We would reflect the one that we are attached to, Jesus Christ. That we would have His life flowing in us, that it would actually show up in our thinking, believe it or not. That our thinking would become like God's thinking. That our words would start to be shaped like God's words. That our actions would actually be, be demonstrating what God would do in any given situation. Amen? In an increasing measure as we mature in the Lord, the Christ in us would well up and overflow. And we find this thing going on in our life that our bodies are wearing out and we're getting older and we're getting lamer but as we fall in line with Christ we find that there's something else happening within us we're growing who we are doesn't fit this body anymore amen as 2 Corinthians 4.16 says though outwardly we are wasting away yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day we're welling up We're growing in the Lord. Amen? That life will not be put out. It will grow. It will manifest itself. And so we are to bear fruit that glorifies God. And the reason why I'm repeating this 500 times is because I want you to know that the the purpose of your life isn't about you. It's about God's glory, and it's about your life being sweet to Him. Amen? And we want it to bear fruit. And you find that actually true life is found in him. Plainly put, it is the life of Christ being manifested through you. That's what fruit is. Is Christ's life being manifested through you? Is Christ's life being manifested through us? Is Christ's community fellowship A reflection of Jesus Christ. How he would think, how he would do, how he would live, or is it a reflection of other things? And as we read the book of Revelation, first few chapters, we find we've got work to do. Amen. And I want to explain that, how that work comes about. But, what does that fruit look like? I want to I start to define those things. What are we talking about? We're talking about in images here. here to bear fruit. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to bear fruit. What is that? What does that look like? I think one really simple overarching definition would be Philippians 1.11. Paul is praying for the church in uh, Philippi. And he asks God in verse 11 that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. He's praying for the church, and he might as well be praying for us. Lord, I pray for Christ Community Fellowship that each one of them, that they all together would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness. Now, to the carnal man, that is the most boring thing on earth. Lord, I want stuff. Give me stuff. I don't want the spiritual stuff. No, to the spiritual man, we pray for spiritual things that are even contrary to things. Lord, fill us with the fruit of righteousness. I don't even know what the fruit of righteousness is. I know that your word says it. Please, Lord, make it happen but what is the fruit of righteousness? Righteousness basically means being right with God. The fruit of being made right with God. Before we were born again, we were not right with God. Actually, it is the total opposite. We were not right with God. Actually, we were under the wrath of God. Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3-5 through 5, describe our former, former life before we were born again. It says, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul's saying, listen, before we came to Christ, we were totally not right with God. The way we thought, our minds were not godly. What, we, what, is the, what are the terms there he uses? Yeah, uh, he says our minds were messed up. Our, 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 our cravings were all messed up. And the actual things we did reflected it, how messed up we were. We often look at people and go, oh, look what they're doing. Look how messed up they are. Well, it's because their mind is messed up and they're driven by their passions and they don't have the lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. And by the way, we can all relate. (laughs) Amen? Yeah. So our minds were sinful. Our desires were sinful. The fruitful The fruit of that sinfulness was evident in our actions. We were by nature children of wrath, awaiting God's wrath. We were not right with God. But praise the Lord, Paul doesn't stop there in that verse. He goes on, verses 4 and 5, Ephesians 2. He says, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Amen. It had to be greater than our sin. Great mercy, great love. Even when we are dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. We were saved from that. That's what it means. Jesus saves us from the wrath of God, from who we are in total rebellion. We weren't right with God, and now we are right with God. Righteousness means that we're right with God. When we are born again, when we were made alive together with Christ, we were made right with God. Because, and this is important, Christ's righteousness was imputed. Christianese word was imputed or ascribed or given to us. His righteousness was given to us. That's called justification in in theology. But now the fruit of righteousness comes as a result of that righteousness we have been given in Christ. Our nature has been changed. We've been, Christ is now in us. And now it's going to manifest itself. Christ lives in us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. It is the proof that we are His. He is our righteousness. And because we are now Christ, because He now lives in us, because the Spirit of God dwells in us, God is now going to live through us. Amen. And His life, His fruit, should be evident in our minds increasingly in our words increasingly, in our actions increasingly as we grow in Him. This is called sanctification. Another Christianese word for you. Two for one today. And so Christ in us will produce righteous fruit in our minds and our words and actions. And examples of these, this righteousness, one is repentance. Repentance. We repented, right? And, and now we continue in a lifelong repentance, meaning that we desire to and have turned from sin and turned towards God. We've turned towards sin and turned towards God. Not just one time, but that is now our life. And when the Holy Spirit brings up like, oh, you know, that's that's the other way. Remember the old life? We are sensitized to that now. We go, okay, Lord, take over now. Here we go, right? We live a life of repentance. That is the fruit of repentance. It's a righteous fruit. Did you know righteous fruit is also shown in our holy attitudes that are to be manifested? The holy attitudes, like Christ acted and lived out. That's called the fruit of the Spirit. When Christ is in your life, you're in a love relationship with God, it's going to be manifested in your attitudes. How many of you have horrible attitudes? Don't answer that by yourself, ask someone else. Yeah, I didn't think of that, did you? <laughs> of course, I'm wonderful. The world spinning around you and everything. Galatians 5:22 lays it out. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. See, that's the fruit of Christ. That is who the Lord is. He is love. He's joy. He's peace. He's long-suffering. He's, he's kind. He's good. He's faithful. Uh, there's gentleness and there's self control in him. You see that when Christ is in you, he starts to manifest. How many of you have seen your lives change over time as you've matured in Christ? You used to be stupid, whatever the word is, and then now you see, man, they've changed. How many people you going? you've changed. Anybody got that going on in your life? Amen. Okay, five of us. Six. All right, anyone else want to get in there? Seven. All right. How about you've seen it in someone else that you know around you? Anybody else? Okay, that's good. Righteous, righteous fruit is shown in our attitudes. How about praise and worship of God? It's a fruit. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, "Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of the lips." that openly professes his name. How many of us are, have God's heart and mind and we're in prayer and we just praise the Lord spontaneously sometimes? You're just walking around and go, God, you are so good. What a beautiful day. Bless you. Lord, thank you for my children. God, praise you. And you just, you have this life of worship that comes out of your heart. That's Christ in you. Did you know that? That's not you. Well, It's kind of like, yeah, which is you, which isn't you? Paul doesn't even know. Is it I who sin or is it sin within me? Never mind. But Christ's in you, the hope of glory, and now you see that these things come out of you that were never there before. That's the fruit of righteousness. Other things. Other things can be categorized like that. Giving to people's needs. Romans, uh, Philippians 4, Romans 15, and communicating truth that blesses others is fruit, according to 1 Corinthians 14, when they talk about all the spiritual gifts. Withholding what you're saying so that others will be edified, or saying it in a way that would bless them, that's a fruit because it's not about you; it's about them. It's love. Having pure conduct, according to Philippians 1, Colossians 1, these would also be the results of righteousness. All fruit in God's eyes. We could go on, leading people to Christ, giving, fellowship, mercy, showing mercy, forgiveness. How about loving your enemies, praying for your enemies instead of smacking them down with your words? See the fruit? Basically, any righteous deed and attitude resulting from the righteous nature we've been given is the fruit that God desires to flow in our lives. Have you been born again? Or are you a superficial Christian? I'm not judging. I'm I'm, I'm saying this is what it comes down to. Jesus is saying, you're one or the other. And the church really is to be the manifestation of God on earth. We're the continuation of the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're Him multiplied. We're His hands and His feet and His heart. Where are we? Amen. And so, as we get into these practical matters of the church and all these other things the Lord tells us to do and as we start to finish the series on the church and we talk about loving one another and evangelism and all this kind of stuff that we're going to get into the things we want what are my gifts and all this stuff we can't miss i don't want us to miss how these fruits come about how do they come about because you're either manufacturing them or they're growing one is plastic fake fruit and one is the real deal we know that he's died for us. He's, he's forgiven us. He's given us everlasting life. He's placed us in the church. He's given us spiritual leaders who are all there to care and teach for us. And he's put brothers and sisters around us who love us and serve us in the practical matters of life. The Lord has set it all up for us to grow and to mature and to produce much fruit. And now with all that God has done for you, that he's done for me, what do we do? How do we grow? How does this righteous fruit get produced in us? How does it happen? Look at verse 5 of John 15. What does Jesus say to us? I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. What are we to do to produce this fruit? to live this Christian life, to live this life to the fullest, to be those disciples that God has called us us to be, to have this high holy calling, to manifest all these things. What do I do? Abide. Remain in Him. But remain. The way you came to him is the way you stay in him, by faith, by grace through faith. Now, I'm not talking about us losing our salvation. I'm talking about losing our fruitfulness. Judas had left. The superficial follower of Jesus, of whom Judas is the archetype, he will, they will leave him. Judas had things in his heart and his mind that he went after. He lusted after money. He loved money. That's, that was his deal. He loved money. He was the guy who held the money back. He stole from the treasury. He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. That was his thing. He was never really a true follower of Jesus Christ. He was a follower of money. That was his That was his thing. But the true follower of Jesus will remain. And I love the tension the Lord gives. He doesn't tell you whether you are or not. He tells you to remain. Why? Because that demonstrates faith. (laughs) Amen? Repentance isn't a one-time thing. Believing in Jesus Christ isn't a prayer we pray and then see you later. It is a life that is now attached to the vine. Amen? We remain. The church lives and bears fruit because their life is in Christ and they remain attached to him. Are you attached to Jesus Christ this morning? Now, what does Jesus mean when he says remain? That's important to answer. What does that look like? Really, quickly, let's look at 1 through 4, verses 1 through 4. He says, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears new fruit, and while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, underline prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because the word I've spoken to you. You're already born again. You're clean. Not Judas, you. Remain in me, and I also in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. In verse 1, we see that Jesus is the true vine, and the Father is the gardener or vine dresser in some of your translations. So Jesus is the source of real life, and those who are attached to Christ will produce fruit of that life that you're attached to. The Father is looking for fruit, right? And verse 2 tells us that either you are a branch that bears fruit or one that doesn't. Jesus says the Father cuts off every branch that In him that does not bear fruit. Judas was was superficially attached to Jesus. Got cut off. No fruit. Again, this is not speaking of being cut off, believers being caught off, but I believe rather those who are superficially attached to Christ like Judas. And I believe that means that those who are not truly attached to Christ through the rebirth, they have no life in them. They cannot produce the fruit that God is asking for. You can't do it. Because you're not that kind of tree. You remain under the wrath of God. The believer who is attached to Christ will experience the Father do what to them? He prunes them. How many of you enjoy being pruned? Pruning their lives so wide, they will become what? More fruitful. This means that God is going to actively be involved in the lives of his children as he seeks to remove all kinds of things that sap us of our spiritual energy that that are unrighteous. And when he does that, when he begins to cut into your life, when he begins to do that through the tools that he uses, stay put, abide because he's doing something in and through you that is actually going to produce fruit in your life. It's painful at the moment. Amen. But he's going to do something amazing if you just remain, if you abide. He's going to be cutting things that limit righteousness in your life by allowing trials to come into your life and sufferings and persecutions into your life. The guys, are, some of the guys are studying First Peter on Tuesday mornings. You know, we're just kind of learning how to teach, type of thing. And one of the things about First Peter is talking to the exiles who are experiencing all these persecutions and stuff. It's not as if God is going, "Oh no, look at you're being persecuted." God's going, "These things are being allowed so that your hope." And everything is not upon your circumstances, but it is on the inheritance that will never fade and spoil. He's using the trials, he's using the persecution and all these types of things to get their eyes upon the reality of Jesus Christ and the kingdom that will never end and their place in it. And so, remain in me when Christ begins to, when the Father begins to cut off those branches that are not bearing fruit in your life. As he starts cutting out things, as trials come about, how many of you, at the end of a trial, you go, man, that was sweet. At the end. You're not missing the cancer. You're not missing, you know, the hardships and all those things. You're not missing those things, but you're missing how close you became with the Lord. Anybody? How he changed you. He gave you perspective. You're not the same person you were. You grew up. Isn't that amazing? Hebrews 12, 7 through 11 says, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Wow. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How, uh, how much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us, our earthly fathers, for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for what? For our what? For our good, in order that we may share in His holiness. You're like, I don't want holiness. I want stuff. That's not Christianity. He wants to grow you up in this. He often will bring you to the backside of the desert and let you spend some time with him to clear up those things. They disciplined us for a little while, but God disciplines us for our good. Verse 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, and this is one we underline and we focus on, Later on, however, it produces a, what, harvest of righteousness and peace by those who have been, what, trained by it. Trained by it. As we remain in Christ, he will take us through pruning, trials, tribulations for our benefit and ultimately for his glory as we produce a harvest of righteousness. And we think about it with our own kids. When we see things that are ungodly in them, we introduce pain. (laughs) Amen. If you don't, parents, you need to start because you are going to reap what you sow. You introduce hardship into their life. You train them that unrighteousness should be miserable, although it seems pleasant for the moment. And you... Reinforce the things that are righteous. Amen. For their benefit. And for yours, by the way. James puts it a different way. James 1, 2 through 4. I'll read it for you. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. I don't want Perseverance. I want stuff. That's not Christianity. Or whatever it might be. He wants to produce perseverance in you, the character of Christ. You persevered through all kinds of stuff, right? How does that happen unless it's formed within you? Through trials. God does something through trials, pruning, hardships. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work you got to let it happen. Stop kicking against it. Realize God's got a plan. Let it finish. Let it do its work within you so that you may be what? Mature. Mature. Not lacking anything. We're to let it happen. Stay put. So in verse 4, Jesus tells the 11 remaining disciples, he says, Remain in me, and I also in you. And that, that is, we are called to be committed to our permanent union with Christ Jesus, allowing the life of Christ to grow in us and through us. Now quickly, we're going to go through verses 5 through 7 of John 15. Jesus continues to urge them to remain and abide in him, and he gives us a little more understanding of what that abiding looks like, what that relationship looks like. Verse 5, I am the branch. I'm sorry, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The Christian life It's not the Christian life apart from Christ, okay? We can do nothing in God's eyes apart from remaining in Christ. We might think we're doing a lot of stuff, we're not. Verse six, if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. Again, Jesus paints a picture of the fruitless vine. These would be the superficial, unbelieving Christians. But true Christians bear fruit. And how does that happen? If you remain in me, verse 7, and my what? Words remain in you. You're going to ask whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Here's what that remaining, abiding relationship with Christ is. It is to have his words remain in us. Amen? It is to have his words remain in us. The word there in in, in verse 7 for words is rhema, which refers to individual utterances of Christ. This does not mean just the red letters in the Bible. This means the the revealed word of God to us. Like David in Psalm 1, we are to be those who meditate on On the word, day and night, it is to be what's filling us. That spiritual food changes our mind, changes our thinking. We're not going the paths of unrighteousness and all these things. We're not standing and sitting and walking in 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 the evil ways, but we're seated and planted in the word of God, and it changes our thinking. It changes what we do because those are God's word. It's spiritual food in your life. I tell you, do whatever it takes to make that a priority in your life, and your life will change. Give it a week. Be in the Word, day and night. Listen to godly messages, not crazy stuff on TBN and all that stuff. Godly, s- godly messages. Some of us don't know that. Be in the Word, and, and let it fill your life, and it will change your thinking. You're going to find out what comes out of your mouth, and how you live and how you act is going to be revolutionary as you attach to the Lord Jesus Christ. It reshapes us. David said in Psalm 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. And think about, does that define your life? But those whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate uh, on... uh, It's law day and night. Those are the blessed ones. Now listen, it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water. There's a continual source in their life that is filling them. And, and, And what happens when a tree becomes mature? What does it start to do? What it's designed to do produces fruit. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yield its fruit when? In season. We are not the culture of in season. We are not a church that likes to wait. I'm going to just talk about in general. Things in the kingdom take time. Let the word of God change you over time. That's why I was asking. How many of you have seen someone's life change over 30 years? Yes. I think of John the apostle who liked to call down fire. Remember him? Who is he in Revelation? Who is he in John? In, in, in first and then in 1st and 2nd Third John, he's the apostle of what? Love. Who's that guy? That guy's been walking, connected to the vine, and God changed him from calling down fire. Yes, he had holiness, and he was always that way, but he was changed from the inside out. He became known as the apostle of love. It says that his knees were worn out from praying. It's that person, the person who's abiding in Christ through his word that God calls to ask whatever you wish. And let me quickly finish with this. So we see the word of prayer, the word and prayer working together in our abiding relationship with Christ, leading to fruitfulness. And so we read something about Christ and we pray, we pray according to what we know about his character and his nature and his will and God says it will be done for you. That is how powerful prayer comes about. If you have a horrible prayer life and nothing happens ever, it's because you're probably praying according to your own will and you don't know the character and nature of God, and God just wants to grow you in that. He wants you to get His Word in and find out who He is, how He relates with you. It's all in there. Spend time with people who have walked. And abiding prayer is how things get done in the kingdom. When people are filled with the Word of God, they begin to pray, God moves. Ineffective prayer is when we are praying for things we want to happen in our flesh. James puts it this way in, four, in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3 of James. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Ask this in your own house. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. Well, hopefully not in your own house. But you covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. You see how that, that, that's what happens? You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't have because you're you're trying to make it happen. Ask the Lord. And then he says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend it, what you want, on your own pleasures, you see. And that's where false teaching comes in. It plays upon what you want, not his will. Of course you want health, wealth, and prosperity. Who doesn't? Who wants to deny themselves and give up their life and lay it down for others? You see, that's... You see how that, how that works. God is not obligated to answer prayer that is contrary to his character, his will, or his plan. But he is all about answering prayer that is according to will. And as you come before the Lord and you say, Lord, from what I know of you and from what I can see in your word, this might be your will. And, and, and I, I see that it reflects your character in this way, and I'm asking that in the name of Jesus that this would come about. And by the way, when you tag on in the name of Jesus, it is not a magical phrase. It's not a magical phrase that gets you whatever you want. It's in the name, in the authority, in the power, meaning what he represents. What does Jesus want? His Father's will to be done, his kingdom, his glory. It's as if a kid, you have kids, your kids come to you and go, Mom and Dad, I want to eat chocolate day and night forever and ever in the name of Mom and Dad. Amen. You're like, request denied. No, that is not in my name. No, that doesn't reflect my character and glory. You see how that works? And so the church abides in Christ when we are being filled with his words, and then we pray that those things would come about in our lives and the lives of others. That's biblical prayer. Read Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 3. Look at the prayers Paul's praying for the church. Figure those out. Read them. And God moves in us and through us in our circumstances to accomplish His will for His glory. And So church, God desires that we bear much fruit. We must remain in Him and simply trust and obey Him. And God has done all the heavy lifting, church. He has done all the heavy lifting in our relationship with Him. And A thriving, living church is a church that remains in Him. Which John goes on to describe as a relationship of love. Remain in my love, Jesus would say. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. The Lord loves you. Remain in His love. Just as I remain in my Father's love. That's the picture of our relationship. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father. That face-to-face, intimate relationship, John chapter 1, that He had from eternity past, that He left to come grab us to be a part of that we would all be one. Abide in Christ. And so as we begin to finish up this series and get back into a book of the Bible, which we'll do, as we start to speak about all the things that we're called to do, all the one another's and, and, and evangelism and all this type of stuff that I want to be clear about, that it is our mission and it is our goal, it can never be accomplished Apart from this loving, abiding relationship with our Lord Jesus. It's never meant to. That's why in Revelation chapter 2, or whatever it is, he says, The church of Ephesus, you've left your first love. You've got all these things going on. You're doing all these things, but you've left me. Repent, remember, and redo. Come back. I want you to have that crystallized in your minds, church. Abide with Christ this week. You might not even know what it looks like. Read John 15 and just start to say, Lord, I have no clue what he's talking about. I just know I've got to be connected to you. Crack open the word and start reading the book of John and just what it says, say, Lord, I want to do this. And you just say, show me how, teach me. And you grab brothers and sisters along you that have a little more fruit in your life than you. Don't go to the ones who don't. The ones who look more like the Lord and you just say, how does this work? What do we do? And quite often they don't know either. But we learn together, amen? I'm asking, Lord, how does this work? And we pray and God starts to change and we grow and we mature into the body of Christ. And then it's from that abiding relationship, church, that you find your gifts of who you are in the Lord. And it's out of love that you start to exercise those things in obedience to Jesus Christ, for the love of His church, that they might grow. But if you got it backwards, you've got a a carnal church where it's all about me and my gifts. It's not. It's about the others, so that you might live. We lay down our lives. Lord God, we thank you for this. We thank you for your word. We pray that we would be the abiding church, the church that remains. God we pray that our individual families, Lord, would be those families that love and honor you and that remain and for those who ha- are in a difficult circumstance because they have a spouse who doesn't believe or or it's just a divided home because you said you would bring a sword, Lord, we ask that we would be able to stay in you and remain and remain fruitful even in difficult circumstances God and so Lord, raise up your church. I pray we would be like those crazy blueberry bushes, Lord. That we would have such a heavy harvest of things that would be pleasing in your eyes that you would receive much glory and much honor. Not just by platitudes, Lord, but from the core of who we are. Do that work now, Lord Jesus. We ask this in the name of Jesus, amen.